listeners, wherever you're at, I hope you are doing well. Thank you for turning tuning in to the Chris and Podcast. Uh, this show is to highlight individual stories and to convey sincerity as much as possible. Um, usually the things that are important to me, sobriety, um, mental health. Um, but I also just love the opportunity to talk with people that I feel others should hear more from. And today, so when I first started this, right? So normally I have you bring a childhood photo, but I'm assuming you forgot. Yeah, I did so, not get the instructions. You're a piece uh, of shit. in the mail. <laughs> Postal service, No, I you can't know. even remember yeah, if I told you that. I was no. just thinking about that. Um, so when you get a chance, shoot me a text of like a... Yeah. A favorite childhood photo fully, you have. Fully clothed, I imagine. Yes, please. Okay. All right. The adult ones you can send. <laughs> unclothed. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll add you on, uh, on TikTok or whatever. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, but so you and I have, I mean, we've we've hung out. It's all usually centered around music. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, and I love doing that. You were the first person to come over and like really jam in this space. Yeah. Hung out all day. It was a friggin' blast. It was. Um, but when I started doing this, uh, Kim was like, you were the first person that came to mind for her. Aww. She was like, definitely you should, you should talk to Tyler. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I am ready for that. I, <laughs> I, I got, like, I got, a, I got a significant amount of baggage. So, <laughs> I I like being in denial because you're such a happy individual. Yeah. Like it's you're just fun to hang out with. So I I put it off for a while and I yeah. was like, all right. She's right. We got to do this. Yeah. I, so uh, um why don't we start off with um I guess so did you grow up in Minnesota? Yeah. Yeah. So I Oh Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, Tyler McEnich. Hello. Thank you for having me. Dude, thank you for doing this. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, please. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, yeah, I grew up in Minnesota. Um, uh, most of my childhood was in Mayer, Minnesota, um, a small town kind of west of the city. is half hour, 45 minutes or so, and then um, I moved up to Becker, where we are now in fifth grade. Okay. See, yeah. that's what I was trying to remember. I knew you didn't grow up in Becker your whole life. Yeah. Because um, didn't you go to school with those girls that were on TLC? So I I knew them briefly as a kid. They so they lived I think in New Germany, Minnesota, which um, was right next door with Mayor. But we had mutual friends, so um, saw them at a birthday party. Saw them, you know, around town. Okay. So yeah, th th yeah that was the, Yeah. I don't know why. For some reason, I was like. Was was that in South Dakota or I don't know why I was thinking it was out of state for no, some reason. Yeah. But um yeah. So yeah. now I'm what so you have how many siblings? Um started with two. Uh <laughs> ended with one. Fuck <laughs> uh, No, I know. Yeah. I didn't want to uh, jump right into that. I was just no, so no, yeah, no. So got, three got, boys growing up. Three right? boys, yeah. Um, what was the the dynamic like between you guys growing up? 
you know, because you're the middle child. Right? I'm the middle child. Yeah, the the often forgotten middle child, <laughs> probably left behind at a Walmart at some point. Um, <laughs> no, um, you know, it was it was fun growing up. So Aaron was the the outgoing popular funny guy and everyone liked him so when it was just me and him you know i I would just tag along and basically i'm his shadow um at that point i wasn't athletic funny or really good at anything so he (laughs) he was uh he was very kind to uh to allow me to to shadow him but um and then jordan came along and he was athletic and funny and also good at everything so um yeah i mean we just we all hung out for for a long time uh yeah um the dynamic i mean yeah jordan and aaron were good at sports and tyler was good at watching tv and <laughs> and not being good at sports <laughs> but um yeah no i mean, I mean like we'll, did you get so you guys didn't like butt heads or anything oh no we always yeah i mean we always fought okay yeah, that's what yeah I, was... I mean with three boys it's you know you're fighting about everything i mean the amount of times that you know, we're physically throwing fists and and trying to <laughs> choke each other out. It's just, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Because from what I remember, Aaron, Aaron, like you were saying, Aaron was very athletic. Yeah. And then J Mac, right? Yep. Yeah, Jordan. Yep. Yeah. So um, I remember he was because uh, he skated, didn't he? He skated. Yeah. He yes, was good at yes. it. He was so exactly. good at it. That's what I remember is like being. But the the funny thing was like you guys were always. Nobody was ever shitty. No. Like, Becker, there was always, like... An element of, of shitty. Well, there was just... It seemed like there was always another side to people. Yeah. And I never saw another side to you guys. Like, the only time I ever saw Aaron get mad was someone was being a dick about the way that he looked. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. Otherwise, he was all about, you know, being inclusive and, and stuff like that and... Yeah, it's uh, you know, I, I honestly, I, I haven't really thought of it. You know, I, I know it from my perspective, but bring that I, thing I, a little closer. Yeah, I sorry. feel like we just talked about it. And, uh, <sighs> I'm fucking it up already. <laughs> God damn it. Um, no, I mean, thinking back on it now and thinking, yeah, I mean, I think we all try to be inclusive, and you know, I, you know. For those two, I don't know if it started with me because, you know, I had cerebral palsy. Still, I guess, still do. Just lower on the list of priorities. But, um, you know, so like I said, I wasn't good at sports. I wasn't really good at the athletic things. And, um, but, you know, my mom, she always tried to, you know, make sure we treated people with respect. And, you know, I, I think for both of them, um, you know, just treat people well and just try to be happy yeah yeah let's talk you, you since you brought up the the cerebral palsy yeah. um was that recognized right away when you were born or was it something that they had figured out later on so in i think it was something they figured out you know later on so i okay. mean i mean you, you have kids so you know there's like these milestones you're supposed to hit you know at, you know at certain age walk talk be able to you know hold a pencil and write with it so you know pretty i say pretty early on you know i started kind of falling behind on, on those things and um you know it was just because i didn't have the coordination to you know hold stuff correctly i wasn't you know my muscles are super tight in my legs and i mean 
pretty much everywhere, but you know, my upper half is it's less noticeable. So motor skills were were behind a little yeah. bit. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, even even now, you can kind of hear this, um, you know, slight lisp and um, you know, kind of nasally tone. Like, so oh, just, that's a part of cerebral palsy. I, you know, the the lisp is. Um, oh wow. You know, it's just it's just one of those motor skills that just didn't develop right. Interesting. Um, so you know, I did I did speech and stuff to to kind of work on that and correct it and you know uh, get it to a point where it's not as noticeable. But yeah. Do you remember when when you were made aware, like of that that yeah. that label of of cerebral palsy? Because that's yeah. a scary fucking thing to hear when you're when you're a kid. You know, for for me, I I do remember it when we finally figured it out because you know it was one of those things like why you know. Why can't he walk right? Why can't he run white? Why why is he always on his tippy toes and, and stuff like that? So it was a long series of doctor's appointments. You know, on top of that, you know, I was, I was a sick kid in other ways. You know, I always had ear infections, always had, you know, sinus infections. Um, you know, I had multiple sets of tubes t- put in and taken out just for all the ear infections. Oh, wow. Um, tonsils, adenoids taken out. Somehow tissue grew back. So you know holy got a twofer on both of those and um yeah so i mean there was a lot of other things and that was again kind of lower on the priority list um but yeah when we when we finally found out um i don't think it really bothered me because it was you know it was something i'd already kind of been living with and now it was just this is what it's called okay so um, it was almost a sense of relief to be able to. It's like um, putting a name to a face. Yeah, kind you know, of a thing. And even for me, I think to that end, more for my parents, and you know, so they knew. For me, it was this is just how you walk. You know, I I hadn't quite oh. put together that other people don't deal with this. Sure. So it was, you know, at at that end, it was like okay, so you're different because of this, and. Um, but beyond that, you know, it really wasn't an issue until you started getting into school and sports and growing up and you you have all these people around you picking up on this this difference. Um, you know, so the the one thing I think about most with the cerebral palsy is that stupid drill that you do in like middle school where you're sitting up, you know, your oh. legs are flat against a thing and you've got to try to push the thing away mm-hmm. and see like how flexible you are. I couldn't even touch the damn thing until really until I was tall enough and my and my arms were long <laughs> enough to touch it. Um, so it's like that. Once I got to that point, then I knew it was something a little bit more drastic. You see everyone else do it. You, yeah, you know, yeah. You're just like, oh, I'm supposed to be able to do that. What did they call it? Like the presidential? Because it had something yeah, like to the do presidential with... fitness exam or yeah. something. Yeah, I don't know. So fucking stupid. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, that and, you know, as I got older and got more into sports and, and just understanding that there was this thing that was always going to kind of cap me, you know, there's going to be that, that ceiling for all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, after high school, after college, I mean, it's something I don't really think about most of the time now. Yeah. I, you know, I wake up with a sore, sore back just like any other 32 year old and <laughs> That's just, you know, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. But so I, <clears throat> I'm curious too, because, um, I, I've said it 
on other podcasts and and including this one uh, quite a few times, which is the acceptance of kids with special needs in this town in particular. When I at least when we got here, yeah, it was horrible, absolutely terrible. Yeah, the kids were, I mean, so misguided. There was no, I mean, the the special needs teachers were like hidden away yeah you hardly ever saw them and well it's true i mean it was uh it was it could really be a segregated environment yes i mean for me you know i i'm thankful that even though my body wouldn't keep up with the other kids you know my brain my intelligence was unaffected so i i got to kind of dodge that but at the same time i also very much was aware of that yeah you know the the special ed and every, all that stuff is just kind of hidden away in a dark room and you saw those kids at lunch and you saw them get made fun of and it's just yeah i mean it was this this place and i mean every place i think to an extent could just be brutal yeah there was an extra layer to minnesota for us because yeah i mean there were the stereotypical cliques yeah. Which we had never, we'd only seen in movies. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that there was actual, like, there's the jocks. Yeah. There's the, you know, the nerds. They're, like, those different sects, like the yeah. potheads and shit. And so it totally threw us off. And then on top of that, for the stereotypical jocks and preps to mm-hmm. be the ones that are being the assholes towards kids that are different. Yeah. Was just like, what the fuck is happening here? It's yeah. so insane. I'm So, I mean, I'm glad that you didn't have to... I'm assuming, at least. No, I mean, were, were people shitty towards you at oh, all? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, it's, you know, they, even just walking. I mean, you can tell my gait, um, you know, is, is very tight and very, you know, yeah. So, I mean, I, I got it all the time. I, you know, it's bags under my eyes. You know, my eyes were always bloodshot. I don't know if that was connected to anything, but, yeah, I mean, it was just, yeah. So, everything. was that just, like, poor sleep from? I don't know. I mean, I've always had the bags under my eyes. Uh, I guess I never you know, thought about that. Yeah. Now that you point them out, I mean, it's disgusting. They're, they're you, fucky you eyes, aren't play. they? Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, I think everyone experiences that, that kind of bullying to a certain extent, but yeah, I'm sure I, I'm sure I had more of it than, than some kids and maybe less of it than others, but, um, you know, sports again was, I was trying to fit in with the sports crowd because I like playing basketball. I liked, uh. I mean that was the one sport that I that I probably really enjoyed the most. But yeah, we had some you know just complete assholes, and yeah. you know I had bodily you know limits that I that I couldn't overcome. Yeah, and you know when I was expected to, it was you know what the fuck are you doing? Time? Oh, yeah, I got you. Yeah, and I think another like factor into why you turned out the way that you did. Yeah, you got really lucky and had some of. Like there was this small batch of like the kindest kids I've ever 100%. met in my life. Yeah, um, Bitsy and was it Lauren or Laura? L- Linda. Linda. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, Bitsy, Linda, Logan. Um, oh yeah, he, Logan Zachary. Uh, Cox. Cox. Logan Sorry. Cox. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. I, <laughs> I really lucked out. So, you know, the summer after eighth grade, kind of going into ninth grade, I. I guess I kind of experienced my first bout with, I guess, more severe depression. So I, you know, I had all these friends from middle school, um, 
that were kind of those, I guess, fringe popular kids. Okay. You know, you know they, they hung out with the popular kids. They wanted to be the popular kids. And after middle school, you know, my wall just kind of went up. And I was like, uh, I don't feel like I belong with these people. Mm. Uh, I don't feel like I really belong with anybody. So, you know, I shut those people out. I went into high school and I'm just like, what the hell am I supposed to do here? Like, I don't have any good friends. The friends I did have, I completely shut them out for an entire summer. Didn't talk to them. Didn't hang out with them. Like, what am I supposed to do now? And I mean, it was very early on in in, in ninth grade that I just, I don't know if I was drawn or just they, that group of people knew that I was kind of on my own. And, you know, it's just one day I was alone and the next day I was with them. Wow. And it was, I mean, it was great. I, so I think it was right around the time I started playing guitar. So I think that's what me and Logan connected with at first. Okay. Because, you know, he is just this prodigal son of, you know, guitar playing. Like he listens to something and he can just play it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he somehow got a whiff that I played guitar. I don't know. Might've been on MySpace or might've been on like MSN or, or you know, whatever it might've <laughs> yeah, been. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, so that's what him and I bonded on. You know, he brought um, Tex, Caleb Cox, his uh, cousin. Okay. After he showed up and then, you know, Bitsy and Linda and then kind of started this whole kind of welcoming um, group. So, it was, I mean, it's great to come from the deep end of feeling like you don't have any friends to coming out the other side with like the best friends on, you know, that you could get out of a high school. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah, I, I, I used to joke all the time about how if if we could adopt Bitsy, we would have adopted like oh yeah 12 years ago 100 <laughs> percent. she yeah i mean she is one of the greatest people i think i've ever met yeah and it's funny like with with her and uh with linda they for some reason reminded me of like that that classic um like disney channel duo yeah where like one is like rough and tumble and the other is like super sweet and accepting yeah. of everybody mm -hmm. and they need each other to balance each other out yeah and it was just the perfect combo every time yeah it was uh you know it's really weird so i i met bitsy right after i moved to becker so she was in my first class in fifth grade and, oh okay uh, we got paired up very early on for a project and like i was super intimidated because here's this like this goth girl that I've never seen before. I mean, <laughs> she had dyed black and, and white hair and just, you know, had the parachute pants with all the straps and the, the chains and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you expect this person to just be a total dick and like <laughs> not want to hang out with you at all. And like, she was the nicest person in the world then. And, like it was just, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's just the, the kind of person that she is. And, um, Linda as well. I mean, I honestly kind of felt like, a just a puppy following her around most of the time. Cause like <laughs> she, you know, she basically graduated high school at like ninth grade. So she just, Oh, that's right. She just wasn't like around for the normal high school stuff. Yeah. But when she'd show up, like she'd be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to Costa Rica this, this month for a missions trip. And like, she was like this, this world traveler by the time she was 16. And, um, I was just like, okay, I gotta be near that, like that kind of energy. And, um, yeah, I mean, I can't count the number of, you know, late night uh, Perkins runs or, you know, oh, whatever yeah, yeah, it may yeah. be after a show, before a show. And I'm trying um, to remember, um, like, once you said that, it reminded me of, 
can't remember whose band it was, but somebody got to play at uh, SESU. Yeah. But it was during school hours. Sure. So I went and uh, pretended that Sarah Allen had been called to the principal's office. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so she got up, left, and we just fucking booked it out of school. And I'm trying to remember like the group of people because when we got there, we'd all kind of gone in our own fashion to get there and but yeah. it ended up at the same place and i think it was just them playing in the cafeteria of yeah. the of the college but um man i'm, I'm trying to remember D- does that sound familiar to you at all so i vaguely remember so the, the band that we all kind of uh bonded over was with kathy crescendo and i know he did a couple of those uh scsu shows because he he went there at the time jacob uh jacob oh Chamblin. yeah 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 so she's He's married to Linda now. Mm-hmm. I, um, they're expecting like, a baby any day now. So, congrats to them. Holy smokes! Um, yeah, but uh, I'm so I'm guessing it was that, or maybe his like band before that, uh, Allies in Chaos. Oh, you know what? It might have been. Yeah, might have been that one. Yeah. Um. So that was like the the I guess the new the new metal band before the the folk <laughs> band that we that we all jived on. Yeah, yeah. Um, you had mentioned depression. Yeah. Uh, initially and that doesn't always just dissipate no so i mean moving forward i mean did so did you do any medications or anything or when when did you start to address it as an actual i mean not not well into adulthood i so we i tried uh, at one point to um Prozac or Paxil or or whatever. Oh, you know, Paxil in, probably. Yeah, in uh, either late middle school, early high school, something around there. And at that point, you know, the the literature and the science behind all this stuff was very like, you don't put kids on this, right? Unless it's like super, you know, super high level. So, you know, my mom and dad were like very against it. So they just like, you know, it's a phase, it's hormones, he'll grow out of it, whatever. Um, and to a certain extent, I you know I, I tend to agree. You know, the more extremes there right. probably were the hormones. Well, um, and around that time, like you were saying, like the the medications that it was basically like Zoloft, yeah. and then these really intense, intense. adult ones. Yeah, there, there wasn't a lot going on for us. Yeah, we were like right on the edge of like shit was about to change. Yeah, but we got the tail end, unfortunately. And <laughs> yeah, I you know, and and looking back now as an adult, I'm maybe glad that I didn't get put on those adult ones because, you know, I, a sense I've been on several, uh, you know, uh, and getting off of some of those was the worst experience of my life. Like, yeah, you know, all the things that they like warn you about the suicidal thoughts and actions, you know, homicidal thoughts and actions, like getting off Paxil one time. I just remember like looking at this coworker that I had worked with for a year at that point, nicest dude in the world. I'm just like, yeah, I think I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and it was super fucked up because, like, I knew, like, logical brain side was like, why are you thinking this? But then the other side was like, yeah, you, you're you going to have to kill him. <laughs> and, it, you know, I, I very quickly realized, I'm like, okay, I'm getting off this very powerful, yeah, uh, you know, mind-altering uh, SSRI drug. Yeah, or- so, yeah, exactly. And... You know, so I got through that one and, you know, eventually we found the right mix and um, in a good spot there. But, yeah, no, that didn't that didn't come until 
probably 24, 25. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was, it was a long time. When when you guys started to get older, I noticed that your younger brother yep. seemed to try and not necessarily distance himself, but make a clear distinction that you guys were different. Yeah. In like the music that he would listen to and kind of the way that he would carry himself. Yeah, he you know, I don't I don't really know when the line was drawn for him, but yeah, things things definitely did change for him. You know, I to go back to the the bullying and kind of the, the dickish behavior. So he you know, he was super good at sports. He was good at everything. I mean, this kid you know, everyone says this about their, you know, talented athlete friend or brother or whatever but i mean he was a knockout pitcher you know from the time he was like 10 years old holy smokes like he you know he could pitch complete games all through these sports you know 10 12 strikeouts whatever he was like the most gifted uh athlete you've ever seen but then when he started to kind of find that other side of him the side of him that didn't care about sports so much he kind of started to distance himself from those the jocks the athletes and then he kind of realized like how mean and terrible these kids are mm. um so that for him i think that was probably when things started to change um and he wanted to try to find himself and figure out what what he was all about because you know he lost this passion that was sports and basketball and baseball and football um all these things that had been you know, his defining characteristics to everyone around him. Right. You know, they saw him as his athlete and, you know, he started skateboarding and he, he found out he loved that. So he'd rather do that than all these sports and, you know, the, the barrage of kind of abuse because of that, um, you know, he'd rather fit in with these kids. So the, the jocks and sports people, you know, they'd make fun of him for his long hair, the pants he was wearing or, you know, the baggy short shirts or the fact that he's always hanging out at the skate park. Yeah. I think that kind of started the wedge and, and probably drove it kind of further than, you know, any of us would like. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember the first time that I think any of us were genuinely scared about him, you know, scared, of, you know, for where he's headed and where he ultimately headed. Um, he was at a, uh, you know, a sleepover. Um maybe 12 or 13 years old, he was at a sleepover and he calls my mom at like two, three in the morning. And he's like, mom, we all took these pills and I think we're overdosing. And, you know, it was something relatively minor. It was like, it was some cold pill that, you know, you could take to, Oh, sure. Um, you know, it was like high in vitamin C. It was supposed to kind of get you high a little bit, whatever. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so I'm, probably 16 at that time so we'd you know drive out in the middle of the country in the middle of the night to to pick him up because you know he thought he was overdosing i mean it was probably just a panic attack but um yeah i mean i i think that's probably for me when you know i started noticing things were uh starting to change changing for him yeah um and it was weird because you know you you look at addicts and what he ultimately became was an addict and you, you think there's a clear starting point. But from that point to, you know, the next major event, you don't notice all the stuff that's going on in the background. Right. You know, you don't know the drugs they're smoking in private or, you know, the cigarettes or the, you know, sneaking out at night. Um, 
so all this stuff kind of happens in the background until you have your next big event and um you know i don't i don't know what it was was for jordan what you know what his next big event was but it just all these things are kind of blurred together to just this ultimate downward trend where you know he wasn't him anymore yeah i mean it was uh yeah i mean that's what i'm curious about too is because i remember um i can't remember if we were doing like promo photos or, or what we were doing, but I, I came Park. to pick you up one time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. And your brother just swung in real quick. Yeah. And he recognized me and hung out and, and talked for a little bit, but then yeah. he, you know, hopped in his car and sped off. Sure. And it was like, we were all kind of like, wow, he was here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, he, yeah, I mean, he was gone a lot. I, you know, it's, it's even tough to kind of remember those those few years, um, but yeah, I mean, he, I, I don't know where he went all all, all that time. Yeah, you know, we kind of lost him for a couple of years there, and you know, then when I left to go to to, to college down in the cities, you know, it just just didn't see it anymore, um, and then. Uh, you know, maybe a year or so into college, I was, I was living with a girlfriend and, you know, I get a call from my mom one day and she's like, you know, breaking down, crying on the phone, talking about how the, all the stuff that Jordan had stolen and pawned. Oh, wow. And you're just like, to me, I was like, well, what the hell is going on? Like, how did, how did it get to this point? But, you know, like, like I said that, you know, there's all this stuff happening in the background and then... I'm trying to remember too. Did he have an injury at one point? Yeah. So that was that was the kicker. So he, I don't know if it was baseball or or skateboarding, but he broke his hand. Uh huh. I think it was baseball. I think he got maybe hit with a ball or, or something, but he broke his arm. Um, broke his arm, broke his hand, whatever. So he couldn't play. Um, and you know, as we come to find out, you know, the oxycodone, the oxycontin, whatever they gave him was kind of this uh i mean it really was the gateway to just him ruining his life uh, highly addictive yeah highly addictive substance yeah. and the fucked up thing was like the internet um there was still like you know people joke about the dark web yeah a lot of it was still pretty dark yeah like you could research there were these forums where you could go, I mean, I'm sure they still exist, but yeah. like to go and Oxycontin specifically, I remember because there were so many things that you could do to it yeah. to turn it into some other thing and, and, and yeah. get high in all these other different ways. And no, yeah, there is, you know, it, uh, it's funny you mentioned that there, there was one time, I mean, he was pretty, pretty thick in his addiction by this point, but you know, come into his room and there's like this little, you know, science set set up where he's, you know, crushing up his oxy, you know, you know. And, and was he doing I, the soak thing where it like slowly thing. drips? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So he was, you know, he had all this stuff crushed up and, and powdered up and he was like, well, this this takes the bad stuff out of it. So it's it's OK. And, you know, yeah. t- to me as someone who just does ibuprofen and uh, <laughs> I was like, OK, I mean, this looks kind of intense, but. Whatever you do, you do you. I mean, if this is how you're getting through the pain of, 
you know, at this point, it may, it may have been a couple broken bones. Because I think after the initial broken arm and he ran out of his painkillers, it wasn't that long after that he broke his arm again. Yeah. So, you know, looking back now, you, you think it's, I mean, it's pretty clear he was, you know, drug seeking at that point. Yep. Um, which is just. Yeah. Super common for, especially broken hands. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. There's they, a lot of small bones and nerve endings and it's. Well, I was trying to remember, I thought he had a head injury at one point. So he did. Yeah. Um, further down the line, I mean, he was well into the throes of addiction at this point. Um, but I think it was. Oh, you know, but it was, you were so, so you were saying that the the broken arm is the catalyst. For yeah, like, yeah. Right. I got you. Yeah. So the head injury was. I mean, he was doing the harder stuff. I, you know, I know. Um, but it was probably mostly drinking and smoking pot at that point. Mm-hmm. But at Becker Freedom Days, uh, you know, the yearly town event, whatever, he was hanging on the trailer park with his friends, and he was mouthing off to. One of the older guys that lived there and, um, oh. you know, he turned to walk away and this asshole sucker punched him in the back of the head, um, knocked him out, went to the hospital, brain bleed, you know, the whole works. And that, again, one of those big moments that kind of changes everything. We, you know, we know that's when he started getting into the harder stuff, mm. um, you know, the meth, the heroin, everything in between, um, because at this point now he's got, I mean, an injured brain that doesn't, can't process emotions, can't process, you know, logical thoughts. Yeah. I mean, on the outside, you know, he looks fine. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to critical decision making, the part of his brain that kind of regulated that, you know, there's a big old, you know, mat of scar tissue and, you know, dead brain cells from, from this asshole. Yeah. Well, and one thing that hurt when I had found out about that, when yeah. I found about his head injury, because um, obviously being a skater and, and I worked at, my life was at the skate park for, I don't know, yeah. like eight years. Um, and when that had happened, uh, people were talking about how, and now it makes more sense, it, it was probably due to substance abuse on top of it, but yeah. he, he would say that he's not, I'm not like my brothers. I don't have, you know, this, you know, X, Y, Z thing. Like, yeah. Cause he like pierced his ears and stuff too. Yeah. And yeah. Self pierced. Uh, looking all flashy and whatnot. Yeah. And so he would like, not only, you know, be excel at what he was doing, but he would, he would say like, yeah, these are my brothers, but look, look at me. I'm different. Yeah. In, in these ways. And then when that head injury happened, um, it seemed like his mental state obviously had changed, but had like accelerated in a massive way because then he started to have these thoughts of like, you know, am I, is, is this something because I was saying these things about my brothers Yeah, that now this thing has happened to me? Yeah. So there was, yeah. Did I, did I do this to myself? Uh, Yeah. You know, I think, by that point, yeah, he did. He did want to be seen as more of an individual rather than the last of three boys. And um, I think he got to a point where you know he would do just about anything to prove that. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't. Even now, I mean, we're coming up on almost 
four or five years of him being dead, and it's uh, I, st- I you know I still don't I still don't wrap my head around the whole thing. It that that I mean I've been unfortunately to too many fucking funerals. Yeah, that was a weird one. Yeah, because you just yeah the I mean from that head in, head injury to the the point when he when he passed away, mm-hmm. um, you felt like. I don't know. It felt like I was, whenever I would think about you guys, there was this kind of like foggy area where like you just didn't know what was. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of that you just, you try to hide away. And I mean, for, for Jordan, it was, you know, his bedroom down in the basement. This is just where, where he did all that stuff. I mean, so, but yeah, I mean, there was there for a while. I mean, it was just kind of this, this dark cloud that you try to keep bundled up. For the most part, you know, you have your outbursts every once in a while, but um, for the most part, it, it really becomes a, you know, a tale of isolation, um, you know, for him, for, for me, for my mom, you know, things with an addict is, uh, it's, it's fucking brutal at times. The things you find yourself doing and, and saying just to get through it, I, uh, it's, nah, I mean, it's just wild. I, I was thinking recently about this time maybe a week or so before my mom died and Jordan was well into heroin at this point and she had made this this devil's bargain to you know give him money to go buy heroin Mm -hmm. as long as he would do it at home and you know at this point she couldn't leave the bed she couldn't do anything and so we're like no we're not letting him Oh, because the kicker was he was going to take her car to go do it. Oh. Um, and all of us there, probably me the most vocally, was like, no, I'm not I'm not letting you do this. I'm not letting him take the car to go do this while you're sitting here dying. Um, and she, in that moment, she's like, okay, fine. I'll go do it myself. I'll drive him over there. And I was just thinking to myself, like, this is a woman who, you know, at this point is five days away from dying and she's still doing whatever she can to get him through this uh just so he he can be around yeah uh it's heroin's so tough because it really like withdrawal can set in so quick and yeah they really like you're it feels like you're dealing with somebody who's dying yeah especially when they're like you know, I need to get, uh, I need to get my fix. I need to go get H. Like, yeah. it it's so jarring. It's it different is. from like when somebody's like, I, I need a drink, and they yeah. get like aggressive and all that. Yeah, with opiates and and heroin, like. I mean, yeah, you, you literally can die from the withdrawal. You can surprisingly, die from- well, I mean, heroin to an extent, but opiates, um, you feel like you're gonna die. Yeah. But majority of the time you don't. Yeah. Alcohol, there's um, seizures and there's yeah. these things that can happen to your body. Mm-hmm. Um, but another thing with heroin is like you're just you've deprived your body of so much. Yeah. That it just starts to shut down. Yeah. So that's there's all these crazy things that factor that in happening. with all this yeah. stuff. But like, yeah, they so they it just it feels like you're <laughs> you're trying to appease to somebody who's, I don't know why, but I always have this image of like, um, 
when in those scenes like those those movies where it's like depicted in the like olden times yeah. and they're walking through the dungeon and there's those people like reaching out of their cell <laughs> yeah. for shit yeah. right it feels like that like you're like ah, I can't fucking do anything. I don't yeah. I don't know what to do for you, but they look like hell. Like yeah. I get it. And yeah, it's God, it's a fucking nightmare. It so is. Yeah. what was what was your dad doing during all this time? So cuz I feel like I I I don't know much about your dad. Like I know your mom yeah. was the sweetest lady. Yeah. The best lunch lady ever. Yeah. Yeah, she she, she was, you know. I kind of forgot about yeah, she did uh, she did the lunch lady stuff for a while. Um my dad you know, he was this I don't know what the best way to put it. He's he was a flawed man that that was trying his best. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, he has his own mental health issues and, and things that prevented him from being successful in life. But, you know, he, through all this, he was trying to work, put a roof over everyone's head, feed everybody, clothe everybody. Um, so I think during the worst of it, he had to go out and work out in North Dakota. Um, oh. Just because, a you know, A, the, the economy was in kind of tatters and that was the only place that was really hiring. So, um, you know, him as land surveyor, there was no building going on around here. There was, you know, not much going on that tied into, you know, he'd kind of burned his bridge that most of the companies around here, you know, a lot of it probably due to that mental health stuff. He, you know, he switched jobs more, I guess, probably more times than I could count growing up. Wow. And you just, you know, you just think it's normally like, oh, he's, you know younger you kind of frame oh he got a promotion he's getting a better job oh. whatever and i think to a certain extent he was for a while and then you know as things kind of started to unravel a little bit it was more i can't take this job i need to go to a different one mm -hmm. whatever so this played out several times until you know the entire economy just kind of collapsed in 08 and 09 and so he went out to north dakota so he was out there you know, either for weeks at a time or he would just go out there for the week, drive home on the weekends. So he really wasn't present for a lot of this stuff. I mean, to no, to no fault of his own. I mean, no. Um, yeah. I remember that, 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 uh, that rush to North Dakota. Yeah. It was like the saddest version of the gold rush because it North was. Dakota fucking sucks. It's awful. <laughs> Every part of it's awful. And, you know, and then it was, it was terrible because, because I had a cousin from Idaho that yeah. went to North Dakota. Yeah. I don't know how it became like the fucking capital of. Oh yeah, I mean it was the the fracking. It was the oh the that's oil, right. oil gas drilling. Um, once they figured out how to do that and figured out that there was a ton of it in North Dakota, that was it. I mean that was enough to bring probably hundreds of thousands of people to you know support these oil rigs. Yeah, that um, was that was a crazy time. It was weird, yeah, because like you said, North Dakota fucking sucks. <laughs> but yet you have the, the, you know, some of the most high-paying jobs in the country in the midst of a, you know, an economic recession. Where are you going to go? Yeah. So I mean, that's what he did. I mean, he went out to, uh, you know, either survey for you know new infrastructure to support all this stuff, or actually survey for the oil rigs. You know, I, I don't, I don't know entirely what so, he did out there. So your communication with him, yeah, uh, you know. Because let me bring it back. So sure. when you go off to to college, yep. um, was like I'm trying to remember now. 
when so <clears throat> you said you were at college for about a year when when stuff had started or when he had gotten that other injury yeah I okay so it was right around then so was your dad in north dakota at that point you know i don't because I'm, I'm trying to figure out what your communication was with him once you went to to school it was i guess probably pretty limited uh, you know it's the only person i was really close with was my mom at that point um you know to uh, really by no fault of his own we you know, we didn't really have that close of a relationship. We didn't really talk on the phone. He he was the the working man trying to just bring home money for his family. I mean, I was on my own. I you know, for the most part I was kinda of paying my own way. I was living in some ladies' basement, like um so we didn't really talk that much. It was it was me and my mom. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I hardly ever saw your dad, I, but I remember that one family shoot that I did for you guys after yeah. Aaron yeah, yeah, yeah. brought his daughter. I mean, your dad's smile was just ear to ear. He yeah. fucking, wh- what's your niece's name? Uh, Drianna. Drianna. Yep. He fucking loved that little girl. Yeah. Like they, they would wander wander off and mm-hmm. be like, guys, come back. And yep. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, he... You know, really, I mean, I, I've said this a couple times, but really just by no fault of his own, you know, on some of these things, um, whether it be the missing, missing Jordan stuff or, mm-hmm. you know, missing other stuff. I, you know, I think he was just doing what he thought he had to do. Okay. And the missing stuff was just a consequence of that. Do you remember his parents? Yeah. Yeah. So his my my grandma and grandpa you know they were from this old school of of thought like um i guess let me back up so you know my <laughs> my grandpa again was kind of the working man he went to work brought home you know money to support his family but he had seven kids holy smokes uh yeah so my brother or my dad uh, part of a a big family his mom um I don't know that she ever really wanted to have a family, but somehow she roped, got roped into having seven kids. Oh, shit. So from what you know, I, I know of her and from what we've talked about in the years since she passed was just she tried her best, but you know, she didn't want kids. She didn't want a family. Wow. Um, you know, so in the 60s and 70s when, when they grew up, you know, the kids were kind of on their own. Um, the older kids, his... His sisters were taking care of him and the younger kids. Because um, I think he he was the second to the youngest. Him and his brother, my uncle, um, oh, okay. were, were the youngest. So, you know, his sisters raised him for the most part. Dad was away throughout the day. Mom, you know, whatever whatever she was doing. Uh-huh. You know, I think she worked probably as well. But, um, yeah, that's... So... And the reason I was asking that is because usually some uh, aspect of that is is carried on uh, and, to the yeah. kids. Um, and I think I think you're right. It, it did carry over. It's uh, but so Bilber has this joke about how it it you usually it gets a little bit better 
yeah. right? When, when the generations, yeah. as they move That's forward. So I'm sure yeah. your dad's version of raising was... Significantly better than, than his parents. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. it, I, it was, you know, in, you know, in the years since both grandpa and grandma passed, I mean, we definitely learned things about how, you know, how tough it was for him to grow up. And my childhood was significantly better than his. I know it was like, I know my dad loved me. I know, you know, he tried to be around, he coached sports. He, you know, did what he could. Yeah. Um, despite, you know, whatever flaws revealed themselves later, you know, as, as we were growing up. Yeah. He was yeah. significantly and, better than his parents. And that stuff is important to highlight because when we talk about this other stuff, I don't want it to seem like we're shitting on your dad no. for not being present yeah. or anything like that. No, it's, it's, it's not his fault. Uh, you know, we, him and I had a conversation recently, you know, the idea that we all carry the sins of our, of, of our parents, mm. more specifically the sins of our fathers was our conversation. And, you know, he is the way he is because of, the way he was raised, his parents, you know, his entire perspective for how to view life is based on two heavily flawed people. And while he's going to try his best, he's still going to fuck up just like we all do. And because of that, you know, now I'm the second in that cycle. I'm trying to figure out, you know, what things I can improve upon. But as a result of that, you know, to whatever kids I may have, you know, they're, they're ultimately going to get fucked up by it. You know, we, we all get messed up by our parents in, in, in some way. Um, but to your point, we, we try to be better than the person before us was. Yeah. And it's fascinating, too, because, like, my dad was... I, I recognize how ridiculously lucky I am. Like, when yeah. I talk about my sobriety, I always say, like, I recognize that I don't... Not everybody has the support system that I had mm -hmm. with the shit that I was going through. Yeah. To have, you know, Jesus, uh, 20 people on deck just like ready to do whatever needs to help. be done is fucking Incredible. crazy. Yeah. It's, it's wild. I got insanely lucky in that regard. Mm -hmm. But so it's wild to hear like the type of parent that I am, I feel like I have done so much more damage than... Yeah anything my dad could have done sure. but he still will say things like you guys are he thinks this of all, all of his sons he's like you guys are doing so much better at racing your kids yeah. than your mom and i did and we're like what the fuck are well, you talking about yeah I mean, <laughs> you guys killed it i think it's all, it's all a matter of perspective because you know as a kid you don't you don't see the struggles that your parents are going through That's to try point. to give you this you know what you saw as you know the best parents in the world you know, wow. the, the, the fights behind closed doors, the the situations that happen, you know, while they're at work, mm -hmm. you know, all the shit that they have to sludge through just to to give you that. Yeah. You know, my dad, your dad hopes that we don't have to go through that. That's a really good point. Yeah, I guess I didn't, I didn't think about it from that perspective because yeah. I see this, you know, ever present dad. Mm -hmm. But you're right. It could he may have wanted to be there more than, than he could than he actually was yeah. and and to me it, did, it didn't seem like he skipped a beat or like yeah. missed a day but that's really interesting I, yeah. had, I never thought about it that way it's you know it's we all see our, our lives through uh you know the first person perspective yeah. um you know we have all these people who are kind of supporting characters around us but to them you know that's yeah i mean they're the first person 
you know, they're, they're trying their best to help out their kids and, uh, you know, their spouse and, you know, their job and stuff like this. But, you know, ultimately there's, there's always just a mountain of crap in the background that, um, that they had to get through. So I didn't have to deal with it. Man, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Into the shittier shit. (laughs) Into the the thick of it. (laughs) Um, so, so your dad, was he in North Dakota when, uh, uh, when Jordan had passed? No, no. So he, he had made his way back home. Um, I mean, a, a few years, you know, he, he got a job back. Oh, cause in, your mom was, was struggling. Yeah. So yeah, mom was struggling with, you know, just trying to take care of Jordan. So I think at some point, you know, maybe when things improved with the economy or, or maybe they hadn't, and he just had to kind of take a lower, a lower, you know, paying job or whatever. So he, you know, he came back and things were, um, I guess more, more together, on the outside. And they what, had- what started to happen with your mom though? Cause I remember now I'm remembering like we were going to do another family shoot, but she had gotten sick. Yeah. So, um, 2016, right around 4th of July, whatever, I, you know, I, I was just getting back from a camping trip and, um, my mom was like, you know, call me when you get home. We just need to talk. It's nothing serious, whatever. Um, so we do. And, she, you know, over that uh, weekend, uh, she had gotten rushed to the hospital with just excruciating pain um, in her abdomen. Uh, you know, so they did the x-rays and, you know, they ended up finding this softball sized tumor. Oh, my God. Inside of her inside of her belly, which, you know, she didn't see. She was a fit, you yeah, know, a that... fit woman. I mean, she was in the best shape of her life. She... Um, she had no indication that anything was wrong. So, I mean, that that kind of started, I guess, the, the few-year downtrend. So she um, she was diagnosed with just this one in a million uh, appendix cancer, cancer of the appendix. Um, you know, so very early on, you know, we knew the odds were, very stacked because there, there was no cure for it. Right. So it was, let's do all this stuff and kind of hope, um, you know, so I guess taking back the July 4th thing, I think it was over the July 4th weekend that she ultimately had her surgery to remove this. Oh, um, at that point, then we got the staging of the cancer and all that stuff. So, you know, we knew it was stage four, you know, pretty pretty severe at this point but um you know she recovered from her surgery and then started the whole chemo uh chemo track so um she did this for a year and a half something like that Mm. um all the while her you know the scans she was getting to kind of check on you know what cancer was left was showing relative improvement um you know so we thought there might be a chance that, you know, she could come out from this, uh, you know, on the other side and beat this. Um, so we, we got to a point with it where she was doing well enough that they were going to try this kind of experimental chemo treatment where basically they open you up and they just um, put this like warmed up chemotherapy and just kind of sl- slosh it around your insides. Whoa. Um, just to try to get, 
you know, any plaques that are on the outside of organs. Oh. Um, you know, anything that's just kind of inside the body cavity there. Well, when they opened her up for that, they saw it was it was everywhere. There was, you know, there's plaques on, you know, every single organ. It was, um, that's kind of when we knew that, you know, this was, this wasn't going to be a beatable thing for her. Um, just despite, you know, still wanting to try and still prolonging things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they opened her up, what was supposed to be, a, you know, a four or five hour surgery was half hour, 45 minutes because as soon as they opened her up there, they, we can't do anything with this. This treatment wasn't wasn't designed for this level of uh, spread. So, um, once we got to that point, like I said, we we kind of knew that there were there was an end in, in sight. We didn't know how close or you know how long, but you know we 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 knew it wasn't uh, wasn't something that she was going to beat. And in during this, um, Jordan, I mean, Jordan was still heavy yeah. in, in addiction. And- yeah, he was using, um, you know, he was doing meth, doing heroin. Uh, so, doing- I mean, fuck. So, um, I'm trying to think of where to go with this. Yeah, thing, I mean, there's, you got a couple avenues, huh? I know. It's all, it all sucks. Yeah. Um, you you know you you've got these parallel storylines with with them, and, and that's what I'm trying to. So the the time between Jordan's passing and your mother's passing, like what was the the time frame? About six months. Yeah. So mom, mom passed away in in March of seventeen, um, and Jordan was in November of seventeen. But the kicker with Jordan was we. <laughs> We actually got this this fucked up glimmer of hope that that he was on the other side of this. So, you know, up and I mean, up to the second my mom died, I mean, he was just a fucking mess. Yeah. You know, he was doing heroin in the basement, falling asleep with cigarettes in his mouth, almost burning the, the fucking couch while you know while he was sleeping. Um, and something, you know, I don't I don't know how it happened, but. Um, as my mom got towards the end, she knew that we weren't going to be able to take care of him. That that was you know, going to be my next question. It's yeah. Like okay. So she she had worked out, um, you know, I'm not going to call it a halfway house, but like a um, almost like an assisted living for for people who you know have brain injuries or addictions or whatever. Oh, um, they're um, God. What are those called? It's for vulnerable adults. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. So that was the terminology. So he got placed in this this home, um, and from everything that we could see, he was clean. You know, he went to his therapy appointments. So, you know, he had he had talk therapy. He had, you know, whatever else he had. Um, you know, job preparedness. He, you know, he had a full schedule and, and I guess a pretty full life at that moment, mm-hmm. you know? So for people who don't know, like vulnerable adult, like assist, it's a version of assisted living. Yeah. Um, usually there's one person that, um, well, they kind of rotate, but there's, yeah. uh, you know, two to three people uh, there at most during the day. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's one person that just stays overnight. So yep. if just in case something happens. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's not as intensive or like they really do promote. Um, they they want these. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They want these people to be as independent as possible. So it's really just yeah. kind of a stepping stone. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what it's intended for. I mean, they, these people that would live there, or, you know, or work there throughout the day were, you know, helping prepare meals if, if, you know, if for whatever reason they couldn't or, you know, helping them with transportation, you know, trying to get them out and about yeah. in the community, oh, you know, job interviews. Jobs, interviews. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so for, for Jordan, you know, every indication was that he was clean. Um, you know, he looked better. He looked healthy. He was doing things that he enjoyed, uh, you know, skating, fishing, you know, there was a lake nearby. So he'd walk and go fishing at this lake. And, um, he, he looked good. You know, I remember we, we took him out to, um, some like Asian buffet for, I think it must've been my birthday. Okay. Um, where, where, like, what town or city? Yeah, so in? he was sorry, he was in Arden Hills. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he was, he was relatively close to me. I think at that point, we were living in South Minneapolis, but you know, I was the closest person mm-hmm. to him. Um, so you know, I drop in on him. I was also his, not his power of attorney, but the person that kind of managed his social security disability um, funds. Oh, so. Um. Uh, yeah god what is that financial called? guardian yeah yeah you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Yep. whatever it may be but um you know so i i saw him fairly often and you know he he looked good he looked clean he looked better i mean he didn't seem to want you know the, the drugs or need the drugs like he like he needed them before um and then the kicker there was you know we uh, me and my dad are supposed to go hunting. Um, so I was driving up to Becker to meet him and I was just calling him. I, you know, I left work a little bit early on a Friday, I think to, to go up there and just call him and say, Hey, you know, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm coming up, you know, is there, is there anything we need? Whatever. Um, and he's like, yeah, we're not, we can't go hunting this weekend. And, you know, I'm, I'm driving and I'm like, if we can't go hunting, I'm just, I'm just going to turn around. Like what's, you know, what's going on? He's like, um, uh, we, we can't go hunting. You should come up here, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about, it. and you know, to me, I was frustrated as hell. I'm like, I, I'm not going to drive 45 minutes to, yeah, to have, some, a to have a conversation, just, just tell me what's going on. And, uh, <laughs> I very vividly remember the spot I was, driving on 94 just just before 694 and uh he's like Jordan's dead <laughs> and it was just this ultimate fucking shock cuz he he looked good like i said he looked healthy and i mean we we'd seen him get clean we'd seen him relapse before but this time it, it felt it felt like it was legit this time. Like, you know, he he may be in the small percentage that actually beats this and beats it for life. And, I, you know, I say beat, you know, because addiction never goes away. You know, right, yeah. As you know, it's always there. But Well, that's the shitty thing. Like, for people who have 
have lost people to addiction, like the percentage of individuals who make it without relapse is it fluctuates, yeah. but it's usually around five percent, which yeah. is so horrifically small. low. That's yeah. like for the amount of people that are affected by addiction, like that's that's too goddamn low yeah. of of a percentage for people to not be successful basically like it's just i fucking hate it yeah it's yeah i mean it's just it felt different but that i mean to, to kind of go back to what you said before there you know or you know what, what we talked about earlier there's always stuff going on in the background with addicts yeah um whether it just be the desire to to go get something and you know maybe maybe they go and score maybe they don't but there's always that kind of monster in the background that's... Have I explained that that three-step thing to you before? I don't think so. No, go ahead. So I, I try to break addiction down in like its simplest terms for mm-hmm. people. So um, your brain stores uh, positive and traumatic, like really positive stuff and really traumatic things, yeah. like on a subconscious level. Yeah. So that's a, a dopamine. Um, I forget what the other thing that's introduced like for like fight or flight right Um, but with the dopamine that was introduced for your passive survival skills breathing blinking Mm -hmm. shit like that Um, our evolution needed a reason for us to go and drink water and eat food and shit so dopamine got introduced when substances were discovered there's no way our anatomy could have known what it was going to do so it hits that that receptor that introduces dopamine and yep. doubles it. Yeah. So what your brain thinks on a subconscious level is that, oh, we're surviving like really fucking well right now. Yeah. We're crushing it. So because of that, depending on when you're using, mm-hmm. so like when people have a rough day and they're like, uh, I'm going to go home, have a beer. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you're doing that, you're teaching, you're, you're rewiring yourself to, to think, a bad thing happens. I need substance to survive yeah. this shitty thing, which sounds kind of extreme, but well, it's, on a I subconscious mean, level, that's what your brain thinks. Yeah, exactly. It's a beer after a long day at work. Yeah. So the more that that happens, um, your brain is like, okay, this is the most important thing. Like, yeah, we're, we have no fucking dopamine. It feels mm-hmm. like unless we have this thing. So we're not surviving. Yeah. So you have the subconscious thing that says, all right, we need uh, we need water. Yeah. So tell step two, where are we gonna find water? Sure. We're gonna go to the tap. We're gonna go get some disgusting Dasani. What are we gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> and then the third step says, okay, so let's go and do the thing. That's the execution part, yeah. right? When addiction is happening, the subconscious brain says, we are like on the verge of death skip step two and go straight to action yeah so that's why these people are are reaching for things without even because when you kept saying it didn't seem like he wanted the drug yeah that you're absolutely right he probably didn't want the drug yeah but then on a subconscious level it happens all the time people yeah. like just start driving to the liquor store and they're like i don't even know why what yeah, the why fuck is going car? on right yeah. now so there's a scientific and and the reason I, I like to point this out is because yeah. there's no malice behind it. No. They're it, not intentionally trying to fuck anything up. They don't want to make anyone feel bad. No. 
there's don't. this other driving force on a subconscious level. Yeah. Now, that's not to excuse like shitty behavior and stuff like that. Yeah. But to have that in the back of your mind. I mean, yeah, it becomes a, a biological imperative. Yeah. It's a, you, you need it. Yeah. And yeah, without understanding, that's one of the main reasons that I've been able to stay sober is because yeah. I, that little scientific fact rather than. Because there's so much shame associated with, yeah. I can't imagine being in Jordan's shoes and the, the trauma that he's already been through, losing your your mom, which is another layer of trauma, yeah. and then if you fuck up, everyone's you're not just letting yourself down, letting everyone down. You're letting somebody down that you can't even apologize to. Like yeah. there's no, so it's it's fucking bad. It's, yeah, it's uh, it is, you know, it's, we got his phone, you know, after you know the cops did their investigation, and you know, for the most part, looked looked like a relatively normal phone, but you know, a couple text messages to unnamed numbers, and you know, where can I get some H? Where, where you know, um, he had just sold. Um, you know, he had this truck that he worked on um, back, you know, I guess back when he was dealing, um, you know, he had put awesome sound system in, custom like subwoofer cabinet, whatever. Oh, yeah. He showed me that one time. So he had this truck that, you know, he just, he loved to death and, you know, he was getting clean and, you know, so my dad gave him this truck. I mean, it was, um, it was a gift, whatever, you know, truck didn't work out, had more problems than, than it was worth. So he sold it to a scrapyard and you know we figure that's probably where you know it, the 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 money for the h came from um yeah you know he suddenly had a couple hundred bucks in his hand and like what you know what do i do with this whereas like me i could control the money that came to him from the government you know i had a debit card that i could set a limit on whatever you know he's got this cash and yeah um you know this this obviously uh just huge gorilla on his back and I what you know what do I do with cash I'll go buy drugs with it when when I was um supposedly sober because I I lasted uh oh I mean yeah I don't know yeah when when I was hiding where I was drinking because I was getting drunk at work I was drinking sure. like all day and shit uh the way that I hit it was that I would go to Target yeah. and buy something and not much of anything to make yeah. sure that because you can get cash back. Sure. So I would get just enough cash back to look like I spent like 12 bucks sure. getting lunch or whatever. Yep. And then I would take that and I would like... A liquor store. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So there's... <laughs> it yeah. sucks. I I know that feeling of like... You're paranoid because you know that there are eyes on your financials. Yeah. And so you find these ways, however you can, to try and get a hold of cash. And, yeah. Uh, so after your mom had passed, did your dad stay in Becker then? Yeah. So he uh, he stayed in Becker. Jordan went to Arden Hills. Um, you know, I was living in the cities. So, you know, we were all kind of relatively separated oh I'm, i keep forgetting to throw aaron in the mix here yeah, oh yeah so aaron you know aaron's been out in montana this whole time um he 
you know, he went out there right after high school, realized college wasn't really his bit. And, uh, yeah. So he, you know, he was busy making a life out, out there for himself. He, uh, you know, he started working on a ski lift when he was like 18 and then. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, was he got a bluebird or. What's that? I'm trying to remember the resort that he was at. He was in Big Sky. Big Sky. There yeah. It was. Yep. So he, he did that, you know, he somehow got into, you know, landscaping, whatever. And then, you know, his ultimate career job out there, you know, plowing during the winter. And then, um, Nicky he does excavations now in the summer, but, um, but so he's, he's, he's in Montana absent. when this, yep. yeah. Okay. When all this is happening. I mean, he, he left, I think when I was a senior in high school. So he, you know, he really hadn't been back for, um, for a long time. So he he did come back right before his daughter was born um, to try to get some support for my parents and you know get get on his feet and you know try to make a life for himself. Um, but it didn't last well. The you know the or it didn't last long. The mother of his daughter was you know kind of a mess. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so that you know they, they ran right back to Montana. You know, they were, they were at home for maybe a month, but yeah. So Aaron, you know, he kind of got the same involvement that I did. I was just closer so I could, you know, go check up on things from time to time. But yeah, there's no, really nothing he could do. He did was, you have any like resentments or anything with, because you were more hands-on and not, yeah. not that he wouldn't have been, but it's hard. I've been trying to explain this to people and this is recent because yeah. When I interview people, they feel trepidatious in saying certain things because yeah. they don't want it to come across as like they oh no they hold a grudge or anything like that. A resentment isn't inherently a bad thing. It's no. a feeling just like feeling hungry or whatever. Like yeah, we are the the living organisms that we are. We yeah. experience these things, and resentment, unfortunately, is a part of. Yeah, I mean it's it is a part of it. You know, Aaron through all of it i mean it fucking hated him for a while you know him, him and i we, we you know we've we've talked this out um the last few years we've kind of made amends for all the stuff but you know for for me you know he missed every big moment um basically since i graduated high school he was supposed to come back and see me graduate he's supposed to come back and see me graduate college you know fucking miss my my wedding like he missed all of this stuff. Um, so yeah, I know I, I, I hated him for that and hated him for not being able to help me, you know, sh shoulder, you know, whatever portion of the burden that I was shouldering with Jordan. Cause you know, all he could do is call him up on the phone. Yeah. If Jordan doesn't answer well, then what it do. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, through all that, through, through mom being sick, it, you know, there was a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of resentment. So he comes back um, for, I mean, I'm assuming he comes back for, for Jordan's funeral. Yep. Um, what, what did, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone, but like we were all pretty scared yep. for, for you guys after Jordan had passed because it's so easy to like lose hope oh, yeah. when some, especially when they happen so close together like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, what, what was life like 
it was there wasn't a lot of hope. I mean, it's the the depression there was unwavering at times. I mean, it's you know I'd have what was supposed to be a, a fun day out with my wife, and you know I just we'd get ready to go to the store, and like she'd get out of the car, and I'd just be like, I can't fucking do this. Like I, I just I, I I'm not happy. I don't I don't know how to do this anymore. My I think my dad was probably much the same. You know, he was living in this house full of ghosts. I mean, he. We had the living room where my mom died. We had the basement where, you know, Jordan slowly killed himself for years. I mean, um, and then Aaron, you know, the, the the guilt of just not being there. Um, I only know my side for the most part. I mean, I've had conversations with all of them, but I mean, for me, there there wasn't hope. It was just sludging through shit day after day, just with, you know, I guess for, for me, I've got this like highly analytical side of my brain. I'm just like, I know there has to be something better out there. I just don't know how to fucking get there. So I'm just going to go through this day after day and just hopefully work myself into something better. Um, and then it got to a point where I kind of finally realized I needed help to, to get through this. So my coworker, um, the July after Jordan died, um, he killed himself. This man that I sat five feet away from, you know, I was supposed to go to 4th of July with his family. He went out to their, you know, lake house and, and hung himself in the bathroom. And there was this weird, when people kill themselves, you hear a lot of people say, I didn't see this coming. Like, how could this happen? Like, meanwhile, I'm sitting in the background. I'm just like, I fuck, I get it. Yeah. I, I, I get, you know, the, the stuff that was going on. Cause you know, he at work, he would just have these outbursts where, you know, the printer isn't working. So he's punching the printer and, you know, in the printer room. You know, he'd have these outbursts, you know, where he just kind of, you could tell he's visibly frustrated and just walks out of the office for the day. Hmm. So, you know, I'm surrounded by these people at work who are saying, I don't, I don't get it. Like, what, what did we miss? And I'm just like, silently thinking to myself, I'm like, I get it. I saw it. Like, what the fuck? Am I, you know, should I have said something? Should I have tried to be, you know, nicer to him? And, you know, there's always that, that guilt um, around someone who kills themselves. You know, what What could you have done? And my guilt was mostly around, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, I, I totally understand why he did this. You know, at various points in my day, I'm like inches away from just, you know, make, making the same call. Like, you know, there's, uh, there was plenty of days there where it was like that. Um, And when it got to that point, you know, I was I was engaged. Um, I got engaged to my wife the the April after my mom had died. So you know, we had been engaged for a while at this point, and I took his you know this coworker's death, and I'm just like, I I can't let myself be that person. You know, I've I've got people who depend on me. I've got 
by all means, you know, the greatest fiance and now wife in the world. Like I, I need to figure this out. So that, you know, that's when I realized like I need, I need to go to therapy. Um, and as a lot of people do when they make that decision, um, you know, I called probably 50 therapists over the course of an afternoon. Like, I'm just like, I need to get in. And, you know, you're generally met with, well, are you thinking about killing yourself right now? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Okay, well, let's schedule you out for two, three weeks, whatever. <laughs> and and it's like, two, three weeks. That's like, if you're lucky. Now, yeah, now it's months. months. Yeah. It's, you know, and it was an eternity, you know. So without telling my wife a lot of these things that are going on in my head, I'm just like anxiously, like, you know, counting the days until this appointment. And, you know, and finally, um, you know, I, I had a great therapist and, you know, she kind of tailored things to that analytical, you know, side of me. Like, you have these issues. These are the skills you need to work on to to be better in handling those issues. Mm. So, you know, every everything from then on out was was a task that needed to be completed. You know, I had a very um kind of step by step guide to I guess get better, you know. Sure. So, you know, an instruction manual. Yeah, ex- exactly. You know, to me I've never been good at, you know, the um sharing my emotions and a one-on-one like this. Um, but having a, a guide to tell me how to do that was just, you know, mind blowing. Yeah. So, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, well, I mean, growing up and well, I shouldn't say growing up cause it, it wasn't the whole time, but like graduating high school and then boom, responsibility just says hey we've been waiting for you to turn 18 so we can just unload all this shit onto you yeah i mean that is there's there's no (laughs) there's no instruction manual for that no and your brain just tries to process it the best that it can yeah because you're still in that that three-year window of like your brain is still still developing still developing so you you're potentially uh generating um just learned about this too uh genetic trauma yeah so the um like a fear of flying yeah usually runs in the family mm-hmm. um and it's you know it's the reason why like mice when they see a shadow yeah they they scurry well, because they you know that genetic trauma but yeah so there's all of these things that can happen and yeah when they happen in the way that they did for you grow uh, for you in that time period, it's like, you just go, Oh, well I'm alone and I just have to keep being alone and it's just going to keep happening. So like, how do you, how do you know when you're that deep, how do you know that you're supposed to be able to have someone (laughs) to unload all this shit onto? Yeah. I I, I mean, I didn't, I, (laughs) yeah, I, you know, I guess I, I count myself lucky that I had a moment of, of clarity through this and just was said like, I, I need help. Oh, I wanted to say too, with suicide, I th- think in the way that nobody blames you for having cancer. Nobody's no. like, dude, why the fuck did you get cancer? Yeah. What, you know, yeah. snap out of it. Mm-hmm. Nobody does that. With suicide, 
a, 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 your body is not built to want to kill yourself. No. Everything is actually going in the opposite direction. It's, it's all survival. So when something happens that your brain says, oh, this actually makes sense. This, this is how we survive. Yep. Which is a f- fucked up way of looking at it is like, yeah. The only way to survive what's happening is to escape in this way. Yeah. Um, I don't think I look at suicide in the same way that I look at a car accident or yeah. cancer or whatever, yeah. because yeah, your body is just not geared that way. So no. it's never when people say it's a selfish thing, it's so frustrating because it is most of the time people think that they're doing you a favor. Yeah. They think that they're helping. Mm-hmm. So in this fucked up way, it's really not because I've, I mean, I'm, I've survived suicide twice now and yeah. both times I was like, everyone else is going to be better off. Fun. Yeah. And no. I really, you know, it was as easy as going through the drive through. I asked for a cheeseburger person in the drive through says, sorry, we're out of cheese. Is a hamburger? Okay. Yeah. I'm like, uh, yeah hamburger's fine mm-hmm. it was that easy it felt that seamless to go from existing to being like oh you just now is when you're supposed to kill yourself yep so it's it's scary how undramatic it can be or non-dramatic it can be 100 to lead up to that point um and in the case of your your coworkers, sometimes it's more exterior but man a lot of times it's like just yeah i mean you know, by all accounts, he was a successful, you know, employee. I mean, he's bringing in mil- millions of dollars to this bank every year. I mean, he's closing these, you know, these giant real estate deals. And, you know, um, the things that I that I noticed were clearly the, the minor moments. Uh, I don't know. Two days before my last attempt. Yeah. I had gotten a promotion. Yeah. And this was all while I'm I'm drunk at work. <laughs> yeah. I had gotten a promotion and um and they were starting to like really lean on me. Yeah. And so my last day bef- before my attempt at at work, um I had told my supervisor and the general manager of the company like, "Okay, because I think a holiday was coming up. Yeah. I was like, all right, when when I get back on Monday, we all need to have a talk about XYZ. Sure. So I had gotten to a point to where it looked like I had my shit under control. Mm-hmm. Things are moving up. Yeah. And I'm so confident in whatever it is I'm doing that I'm telling my supervisor work. and the yeah. fucking <laughs> general manager yeah. that we need to have a talk. So... Yeah, success is is a, a fickle thing and all perspective. Yeah. Because if you're not happy or if you're not, man, it's so easy to trick people into think thinking you know what you're doing. Yeah, 100%. That's uh, I always have to advocate for that stuff because on my way to the hospital, yeah. the EMT was very standoffish yeah. when she was in the back of the ambulance with me. And I was like, something on your mind? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she was like, I'm sorry. I just, I don't understand. It's, you know, so selfish of you to to do this. Holy fuck, dude. 
like a half an hour after I tried to hang myself. Yeah. And I'm like, in that moment, I'm the one that should be getting help. I'm like, well, just so you know. And I explained to her like why, because yeah. I think she had lost somebody to suicide. Yeah. And uh, she did not deal with it well, clearly. Sure. But I, uh, like I said, a half an hour from, and I'm perceiving from this person's perspective, like I'm comforting somebody who I don't know, mm-hmm. even though I desperately need a lot of fucking help. Yeah. So, yeah. So, okay. Sorry. No. All of that to say, yeah. <laughs> going back to you, um, I mean, it it is and and for me that was the scariest thing when yeah. when Jordan passed away as I was like I know how easy it was for suicide to make sense to me. Yeah. Because you said that was 2017. Yep. So three years before that I had attempted suicide. Yeah. Um and I was just that whole hamburger cheeseburger hamburger thing. I was like, fuck man, you're it's that that close. Yeah. So, I mean, for you to have to wait for therapy in that way, eons. Yeah. That's uh So now yeah. you go to therapy. Yeah. What what I mean, what did you start to notice like in 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 changes and things? I noticed that I had been neglecting my needs for as long as I could remember, you know, you know, I had just these series of uh, coping mechanisms uh-huh. that kind of had to be unwound, um, you know. So uh, the one most notable one for me was, you know, I'd get home after a stressful day, stressful day at the stressful job, and I would just, you know, play some video games after dinner, whatever, and. Uh, you know, my wife, obviously, her fiance at the time, she wants to hang out with me when she's home. And I would just straight up be an asshole to her. Oh, no. And, you know, I would just be like, no, just leave me the fuck alone. Like, I had a long day. Let me play my video games. Hang out with the, you know, the couple of people I chat with on here. Just, just leave me alone. And, you know, that was, I guess, one of the, the first kind of skills that I had to learn was to verbalize that you know I needed time to decompress after work um and I had no idea how to how to verbalize that to her you know so my you know my go-to was just get angry so she would want to leave me alone you know yell scream swear whatever um do you know who John Cleese is no um, so he's the guy from Monty Python. He's like one of the most notable dudes from Monty Python. Sure. He was in Harry Harry Potter too. Is okay. I think he was the headless ghost. Okay. Um, but he gave this talk where he somebody had asked him about Fox News. Yeah. And he was like, I read a book where somebody had said, uh, "Stupid people lack the capacity to recognize that they're stupid." Yeah. Which is, you know, in that moment, funny. But yeah. what it is meaning to say is, when you're so deep in the thralls of a thing yeah there's no way for you to conceptualize what's Mm -hmm. going on until you have that moment with that therapist so your body is like the only way i know how to survive back to the whole survival thing is i know 
I know what I have to do for me. Yep. Because it's been on me this whole time. Yep. But you lack the capacity to recognize that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. So the frustration is your body doesn't know how to verbalize that. Yeah. Your body just knows what it needs. Mm-hmm. And there's no way to verbalize what's happening. Yeah. And there's no way for you to know. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, it just came out in unintelligible fucking anger. Yeah. You know, it just. So, <laughs> you know, I, I remember that session. particularly. So the first session was was pretty much just an hour long session of me venting. You know, I just talked through all the all the shit of the, you know, the past couple of years. Jordan, mom, you know, getting engaged, you know, starting a life, trying to be a fucking growing up, whatever. Um, and we got to a point where, you know, back to the video games thing, she was like, what's, what's the worst case scenario if you talk to her? If you, if you, if you just said, Hey, I need an hour after work every day to just decompress. What's the, what's the worst case? And it fucking broke my brain. <laughs> Because, like you said, I I had no way to logically get from point A to point B. There was just this this no man's land of just unintelligible anger there. Um, and I'm like, nothing. There is no worst case scenario there. And so, you know, that was kind of the the early steps of that kind of instruction manual on how to kind of heal yourself and make sure that your needs are known and um, that you can express them in a safe way that, you know, is not going to upset her, you know, because while you're working on yourself there, you, you have to acknowledge that you have all these people around you too, that again, have stuff from their perspective, you know? Um, so being responsible and thoughtful, of, you know, of their feelings as well. Ooh, gazuntite. Oh, thank you. I had a little, little, little tummy rumble there. <laughs> it's funny. That's my favorite sound. Yeah. And in these serious moments, it's hard for me not to be like, <gasps> <laughs> Yeah, it's a... Yeah, got a little grumbly tummy. Um, so, okay. Now, I'm happy for you. You're a wonderful human being. This <laughs> this is the, the toughest part. Yeah. So, we've talked about all this shit, right? All yeah. of these things. Yeah. Cerebral palsy, taking care of, the, or like just being available to your family. Yeah. Right. And then taking on financial responsibility and all this mm-hmm. shit. When, when did the tumors first start for you? Or when, when was the first time you had a, a no. Yeah. Um, so a couple summers ago, I, I went out to California for, for vacation, just got, super badly sunburned um and came back and noticed this this mole on the top of my ear and whatever you know i'm mid to late 20 something at this point whatever a mole is a mole don't worry about it whatever um um and so i just just left it uh last summer i was like you know i got a let me just get this checked out, whatever. Because I've had moles removed in the past, and, you know, one of them I think was, like, precancerous. Well, can we take a step back? So you and I did a video to raise money. Yeah. What, oh, yeah, for was... the head, yeah, for the head injury. Wow. Yeah, it's just another another cycle of 
of being <laughs> shit on by the <laughs> universe, right? <laughs> yeah, so if we're backtracking to that, um, yeah, so before mom's cancer, before Jordan, um, I was like a month away from graduating. I was walking out, slipped on some ice on my front step, hit my head on the sidewalk, whatever. Young, you know, 21-year-old, zero fucks to give about, you know, hitting my head. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Um, definitely felt kind of out of it for the afternoon, but proceeded uh, proceeded uh, on my way. Um, a few months later, though, I was driving into work, um, and I almost passed out while I was driving. And like that, a switch was just flipped. Like, I'd go into these big spaces and just get nauseous, you know, get headaches, just feel like something's up. Well, I, you know, again, as a 20-year-old, I, whatever, just just power through it, whatever. It's It'll go away, right? Um, and so I did that for, you know, about a year. I started dealing with, you know, migraines pretty much every day, double vision, um, you know, anxiety, anxiety, whatever. Um, and I just, I dealt with it. I went to work, I came home, you know, I, even then I had my coping mechanisms for me. It was, it was vodka. I would just get drunk to, oh, to, that's right. to get the headaches away. And, uh, and that's fine. It worked. You know, I got up the next day, my head didn't hurt. I'd go to work and rinse and repeat. Um, and, you know, I was, I was dating a girl at the time. Um, and so when when she and I broke up, like this 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 was a girl that in my mind as, you know, as a young 21-year-old, I'm like, I'm supposed to marry this girl. Like, mm-hmm. we're perfect. Like, we like the same music. We like the same bands. We, you know, we like every, the same thing. So when, when that relationship fell apart, you know, and I had these health problems, I was like, I just kind of fell apart both emotionally and, and physically at that point. I'm just like, you know, I need to, I need to get help for, you know, the medical stuff, not the emotional, because again, as a 21 year old, (laughs) bury that shit down Uh and don't worry about it. Um, you know, so went to a couple doctors and, you know, they did their tests, whatever. And yeah, so it, it was a brain injury that, that caused all this. And, of course, it made sense. I slipped. I hit my head really hard, and I didn't get any treatment for it. Um, so, you know, I did about a year, year and a half of, um, like, pretty intense um, occupational therapy, both getting my eyes to, you know, be able to converge on a single image again instead of constantly being separated out. Oh, my into God. Two. Yeah, I mean, I, I lived with this for, you know, a year, you know, I drove to work seeing, seeing double, you know, it's uh, by all means, I, lucky I didn't die in a car accident, yeah. but, um, you know, I, we tried a bunch of things for the migraines. Eventually we found something that worked and seemed like was, was getting better. I mean, I, uh, cause it, we did the, the benefit thing to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to kind of raise, to raise money for all those bills. Um, I mean, we had good insurance, so, you know, I didn't have a ton um, but yeah, I mean, that benefit show kind of felt like that was the ending chapter of at least that point of craziness. You know, I don't know if you want me to expand on anything else particular about it, but well, so, um, cause is this the, and I, so I, okay. 
time sure. out real quick because yep. I, I might cut this part out. Sure. So, sorry, listeners, I had to clear some stuff up real quick. Um, so, you're doing the double vision thing. Yep. The mole stuff, was that prior to the head injury or after the head injury? So, it, it was after the head injury. Okay. Um, I got to a point where my main doctor here, Dr. Spinner, right in, in, in oh, yeah. here, the, you know, the greatest like primary doctor of all time. Um, that bastard told me when I was in... When I was a sophomore, yeah. like I had an x-ray because I had broken my ankle. Yeah. And he goes, oh, you see how there's just this tiny little white area yeah. on your bone? That means you don't have much more to grow. And I was like, what the fuck? Fuck, dude. Dick. I thought I was going to get a little... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So he, you know, we had a, I don't know, one of those kind of breakthrough conversations where he's like, you need a do some things to, you know, take care of yourself, whatever. So, you know, he, whether he said it directly or just planted the seed in my mind, I'm just like, you know, I'm going to try to, you know, take care of some of these nagging health problems, mm. you know? So I knew I had moles I needed to get looked at. Um, you know, I've always had really nasally voice. So I, you know, went to an e- ENT to have them look at it, but the, the dermatologist, you know, they did their initial scrapings, whatever. They said, oh, well, this one looks a bit fucky, so let's let's come back and get it removed. God, wouldn't um, it be great if they actually spoke like that? Yeah. It's a little fucky. It's a little fucky. Yeah, I've been <laughs> watching a lot of the Trailer Park Boys lately, so I've, I've, uh, I've been been using that, that adjective quite a bit. Um, uh, so, you know, came back, cut it out, and they're like, well, it's, it was precancerous, you really should have nothing to worry about. Just make sure you see a dermatologist on a regular basis. Well, again, as a early twenty, mm. early twenty something, why why go see a dermatologist every six months or every three months, whatever you know, whatever was recommended? Um, so I just I left it. I didn't think anything of it. You know, just continued on about my day, and then um, yeah, then obviously the 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 mole last summer that we kind of started talking about um, that was kind of the the first foray into the the real cancer shit so they you know they scraped this this mole off my ear um you know they did their testing came back and they're like yeah it's it's melanoma it's um and at that moment you know my heart just kind of kind of sank because you know the only experience i have with cancer is is watching people die of it. yes fuck um they're like, well, it's you know, we we took the sample, the cancer reached all the way to the outside of the sample, so we know it's fairly deep. Um, and then as as things do, they kind of picked up speed over the next week or so. You know, I met with a surgeon. You know, gave me the plan, like, okay, so we're gonna remove the mole, we're gonna m- remove all that skin. Uh, we'll rebuild your ear with some skin from your your clavicle area. Mm. Um, and then we'll, you know, we'll test the lymph nodes nearby to see if it's spread. Um, so we, we did all that. We did the surgery. We did, you know, the, the imaging on the, on the lymph node and it looked like, you know, we, we got it all. Um, you know, the way that they test this is they, like inject this nuclear dye into your ear, see what lymph node that your ear kind of naturally drains to. Oh. Um, so, you know, they did all this via imaging and I saw, okay, this is the lymph node right kind of in my neck here. 
that it was draining to. Okay. They went in there and they did a biopsy um, and came out of surgery. Biopsy came up clear. So we're like, okay, sweet. We we got this. It's done. End of, end of story. Um, fast forward to this June. And, you know, in, in between, you know, the recovery there, I'll, I'll say it was, was kind of just a bitch because they, in doing the skin graph, you know, they cut through some areas that had a lot of nerves. So, yeah. you know, I had a lot of nerve pain, you know, whatever. Um, didn't have a lot of mobility in this arm or in my neck for basically six months um, after this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, got to a point where none of that stuff bothered me anymore. My arm was good. My neck was good. I had my movement. Um, and then this June, um, I had gotten sick. Um, uh, cottonwoods were in bloom. So there was little cotton fuzzies all oh, over. Oh, yeah, yeah. I went outside to work one afternoon. And I just felt my throat, like, get itchy almost instantly. So I'm like, okay, I got allergies, whatever. Um, so I treat those for a while. And as you know, a constant overthinker that has had access to WebMD my whole life. Yeah. You know, I, I feel, you know, my lymph nodes whenever I'm sick to kind of see where I'm swollen and, um, you know, whatever I can do there. And, you know, right below my ear, there's this, this little bump. Um, I'm like, well, it's close to the ear, nose, throat, whatever. It's probably just a reaction to being sick. It's swollen. It'll, it'll go away. Um, Two weeks later, I'm feeling completely fine, and this this lump is still there. So, we we had to fly out to uh, Montana for my brother oh, Aaron's wedding. Uh, oh, so, so he got married in June. Mazel, uh, tov, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, so I I kind of knew I had this thing going on in there when I went out there, but you know, I hoped like, oh, it's just you know a cyst or maybe like a dental abscess, whatever. Right? get back you know i kind of go the, the standard route for these things go to my primary care he's like well let's let's get you looked at a couple different doctor appointments and um i finally just led up to a straight up biopsy of this of this lump um and give it to to health partners their their test their labs are super quick so i think later really? that day yeah um later that day i had I was working, get a notification, I got a test result. Holy smokes. I go to open it up, and it's like, uh, no, it is positive for metastatic melanoma. You had to read it? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck so me. So this was, yeah, the shitty part. Um, and immediately my, just, my heart dropped. Because like I knew after the first bout with, with melanoma last summer, that once it leaves the primary site... It's a whole new fucking ball game. And I just, again, you know, almost, almost fainted there in my, at my seat and just, um, I, I am my boss. And I told her like, Hey, I just found out I have cancer again. I need to just take the, take the rest of the day off. Um, and she was like, finish your emails. And then absolutely. <laughs> no, she, uh, she was, she was relatively chill about it. So she, um, Actually, yeah, no, so I, I don't even know if I emailed her that day, but, um, so I just took off, whatever. And then like four or five hours later, my doctor calls me in my primary. He's like, uh, yeah, Tyler, how you doing? And I'm just like, well, I just found out I have cancer. 
And he's like, yeah, man, I'm so sorry. The, the lab send those results out right away, regardless of whether or not we've talked to you. I'm so sorry you had to find out this way. And, um, yeah, that was, that was the initial diagnosis. And I hate to do this right in the middle of your podcast, but can I go use the bathroom? Oh, absolutely. Thank you, teacher. Thank God. Yes, please. So we are back. Tyler had to go do some chemo real quick. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Not not today. Not yet. Hopefully. Um, okay. So so you get your results from the doc. Or, oh, yeah. Okay. So you're, you're, you're talking with the doctor. Yeah. What, what happens after that? Um, you know, he kind of gives me broad strokes what, uh, what the next steps are going to be. He says, you know, uh, based on the location, we'll get you set up with an, you know, an ear, nose, and throat um, surgeon. To see about you know whether or not removing it, it's the best course of action, and then the the obvious one that you know scares the bejesus out of me the the, the oncologist. Um, so going back to like last summer, the you know just the mole on the ear, and you know that was seeing an oncologist was going to be like the worst case scenario of that. They're like, if we find cancer anywhere else, it spread to lymph node. You know, this is serious and, you know, we need to go to cancer doctor store. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, we get set up for, for the oncologist and um, he just, you know, great, kind doctor. Just, if you need anything, let me know. Um, these are the next steps. Um, so, you know, as one as one does in these situations, you you just kind of roll with it. So, um, it's funny that you say that because not everybody just rolls with it. Like this is this is what's so wild about you. Yeah. Right. So you've dealt with so much shit. Yeah. I've never had a negative experience with you. I've never heard anybody talk poorly of you. That's good. Like, <laughs> I'll find them. Then again, I've never dated you, so I don't know. Ooh. <laughs> you're missing out homeboy <laughs> but i mean to go through all of this shit that you've been through and you're always so chill even when we were trying to raise money for for your medical bills because yeah. you know that shit sucks um you were still like very positive and so yeah. i'm glad that you're you know you you have that analytical brain that goes okay so we have this now we need to do this yeah. and then what's the next step like yeah so I want to give you props for that is what I'm trying to say. It's like, yeah, I appreciate it's it. not always that easy for people to, like we were saying before, when you're deep in the thralls of somebody yeah. could be having the like worst week of their life with yeah. depression. And then they mm -hmm. hear that and they're like, Oh, cheeseburger, hamburger. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's an interesting thing because it seems like about 8,000 times a day. I am, uh, I'm jumping between, you, dude, you totally got this. We're gonna let's let's fucking do this, and then immediately jump to you're gonna die and you're gonna leave everyone that you love about behind. So, you know, I yeah, I mean, I, maybe I credit it to the analytical brain. Maybe it's just pure survival instinct at this point. But it's all right. These are the things I have to do. Uh, let, let's go do them. So, um, you know, we, you know, met with the oncologist, met with the surgeon. You know, we have a general idea. Um, you know, we get a PET scan ordered, an MRI ordered. And, you know, these are the two tests that are 
realistically going to determine you know how fucked i am to you know to what level <laughs> yeah i'm i'm fucked um so <laughs> doctor's pointing so if you see here uh we go from manageable to super fucky <laughs> We're trying to figure out how fucky this situation yeah, how, is. Yeah, how how fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you know, I gotta wait a week or two before these um, tests open up. You know, so I'm I'm sitting in limbo, like you know, Ugh. just just wondering how far is this? Because you know, the other the other shitty side of this for me is a friend of mine from college. He died of melanoma in March. Same thing. Started with a mole on his head. You're kidding. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, you know, he went through it several times, beat it several times, it came back several times, and ultimately, you know, he flew back from Denmark where he was living this, this winter to get uh, treated at the mail. Then, you know, it was in his brain and that, I mean, that was it. Um, so, like, I knew while waiting for these tests, I knew the stakes were that like this is you know this lump is on my ear it's it's way too fucking close to my brain for comfort um you know if one cell gets in there you know it's it makes things a lot more difficult um and then likewise you know we had the the scan of the whole body you know if it had moved far beyond this initial site you know my ear to this lymph node in my neck you know we know it's going to be a little bit more aggressive of a fight um mm. Yeah, as far as cancer goes, I, I got about as lucky as I could be. You know, they didn't see any in my brain. They didn't see any anywhere else. Um, you know, they've got a lymph node in my armpit that was was lighting up a little bit brighter. Um, so, so PET scan. Yeah, yeah. So the the way that the PET scan was kind of explained to me is they they inject you with this almost like. Uh, radioactive like sugar solution so so you're spider-man i'm spider-man yeah i've been doing this all day or hulk why spider-man that's not even close to the same thing yeah so they (laughs) (laughs) they inject you with this and the cancer cells are supposed to you know just nom 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 on this radioactive (laughs) sugar solution so when they you know do the pet scan they're supposed to see where in your body this is being metabolized you know, the quickest. Oh, okay. So, you know, homeboy up here on my neck, you know, lighting up like the 4th of July. It's Pac-Man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, a little bit brighter on this this armpit lymph node. You know, they said, since I had the COVID shot in that arm, it's oh. totally possible that could be it. It's just an area to keep an eye out for. Um, so, yeah, I mean, going back, it's as far as cancer goes, it's about as good as it could be for this i mean it's still classified as stage three it's it's moved beyond the original site it's in another organ it's, oh um yeah I, i've never known what how the stages work or like classes yeah and i think it's different for for different types of cancer but for melanoma at least once it's beyond the original site and into a lymph node nearby that you know moves out of stage three um if it had shown up anywhere else, then, you know, immediately jumps up to stage four. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, it's in my neck. It could be other places. And that's, that's the other thing, you know, watching my mom go through this is that shit can hide undetected. 
if it's not big enough to be seen by the scans, it's not big enough to be seen. Wow. So, you know, maybe there's none elsewhere, but maybe it's just not big enough to be seen yet. And that's, that's the real mental part of it that I'm trying to work through on kind of a daily basis is, you know, I can do all this. I've got a very intense invasive surgery that's going to, you know, cut out the tumor, cut out every lymph node in my neck, you know, basically treating it, you know, like a blast radius. They're, wow. They're just going to attack my neck. They're going to cut out anything it could travel to easily. Um, you know, then we do immunotherapy. But if one of these little dicks in here, you know, has already moved elsewhere. Broken off, yeah. You know, it's then it becomes a waiting game to see where it shows up next. Um, and that's, that's, uh, you know, a point of my mom's treatment that I didn't understand at the time, but I understand now is, you know, at one point she got super frustrated with chemo, always being sick and always, oh, you know, just, just, just feeling like shit. And, you know, she wanted to, to give up because, you know, she didn't know where this was going to come next. She knew it was spreading. Um, she didn't know what the next hurdle was going to be. And so I, I, I'm looking at her situation, looking at mine, and it's like, if this is already spread, you know, what does this look like? You know, do I continue to keep trying to fight this year after year and just have it come back over and over again? And, yeah, you know, knowing what the ultimate result could be. Um, or, or just <laughs> let it go and, try to live uh you know the best i can for whatever amount right. of time some semblance of normalism <laughs> yeah i mean without trying to be over dramatic you know i no this dude, this uh be as dramatic as you fucking want to be yeah you're one of two people that yeah. i've ever gotten to have a conversation with this like yeah it's fucking terrifying it is. it's okay for it to everybody's threshold is different However heavy it feels to you, you're handling it extremely well. Like for what you're about to go through. Yeah. It, so please be as dramatic as you want to be. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I look at it and I know how tricky this, this cancer can be. So there's a, there's totally a chance I can beat this walk away and never see it again. But there's also a, a strong chance that, it comes back and we rinse and repeat. I mean, we're, whether it be we remove with surgery and then treat with immunotherapy again. Um, oh, thank you for that. I'm going to use that as a soundbite. The gargles. <laughs> um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know what, what the end game looks like here. I don't, you know, I've, I've, I've watched someone I love slowly, basically starved to death as, as her cancer eventually attacked her, you know, intestines. She couldn't eat anymore. Um, you know, so I, while trying to come up with a brave face and a game plan for fighting this, I, in the back of my mind, I'm just like, I need to figure out where my line is going to be, where, where I call enough is enough and, and just, you know, try to live out the best of my days. Um, How much fuck cancer merch do I buy? Yeah. When do I? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you uh, you starting at Modify 
the other um fairly recently it's got me thinking about a fuck cancer tattoo but here's here's the fucky bit as I've, I've heard you know if you have melanoma it's best not to cover your skin with tattoos because little dick cancer boy is gonna you know hide himself somewhere there and then yeah you know so even in, in my absurd gesture to you know fuck cancer i i may not even be able to do it in a fashion that i that i want to do it yeah um but yeah man i the mental side of it is is tough um initially with my wife i tried to play it close to the vest and just say you know no we we don't know until we know we and and, and to a sense that's it's true we don't we don't know the cancer spread until we know it's spread. We don't, but at the same time, I, I found myself needing to prepare her for, you know, a possibility that we know when we know, um, you know, trying to just let her know that I might need more help. I might be sick on this immunotherapy. I might, it might get to a point where you fucking lose your husband. And, uh, that that has been the toughest part of all of it you know i've uh i've worked so hard and fought so long to build this life that i've got um you know i've got a bunch of great dogs that i love i've got friends that live really close that i see on a regular basis i i've got arguably the best wife in the world and with a five-year survival rate of about 60% for these stage three melanoma, I don't, I don't know where I'm going to, where I'm going to land. And the reality of that has, uh, has been the worst part of, of this. Uh, you know, we, you hear so much about, you know, the medical advances, you know, they've come so far. You hear this all the time. Uh, but when you, you know, me as the analytical brain, I, I want heart data to support that. So I go out without trying to, you know, scare myself. I, I go out and, you know, what's the survival rate for stage three melanoma? It's pretty widely available data. Um, you know, most sites it's a couple years old, but it says, you know, 63% of stage three melanoma survive past five years. And that is a, a fucked timeline for, I was going to say for someone who, you know, otherwise feels pretty healthy. I, you know, I live my life without really any inconvenience. I, you know, got a fucking bump on my neck, but beyond that, the absurdity of, of knowing that I could be dead in five years. And then having to hope that the data is just catching up to the advances without really any concrete data to support it. Um, you know, I've, I've watched countless hours of YouTube, uh, you know, uh, medical lectures, presentations on, you know, immunotherapy. And by, you know, all intents and purposes, it's, it's a miracle. It's a miracle, you know, drug. 
you know, it allows your body to fight the cancer off naturally. Wow. But at the same time, how do you, how the fuck do you argue with 63%? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I made a post the other day. It's like, you know, I, I should view it as the, the, the cup is two thirds full instead of, you know, it's one third empty, but in that one third that's empty, I fucking die. So I heard someone say this, uh, not too long ago. Um, it's funny that you say it that way. Um, there's the whole, you know, cuff half, half empty or half full. Yeah. Um, and God, I wish I could remember who said it, but they, they go, but where the fuck the other half go? Yeah. <laughs> like wh- no. whether it's full or half empty, yeah. there's still half missing. Mm-hmm. And that, it, there's uncertainty there is basically what he was yeah. trying to say. That's fucking scary. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's been it. I, the, the, the fear aside, I, I've had some rather, you know, clear and coherent thoughts and, you know, just how I'm going to try to continue to live my life since then. And the one thing I'll say is, uh, you know, it's it's provided a lot more value to the everyday. So, you know, even just coming and doing this or, um, you know, meeting a friend for dinner, it's. Are you, it's, it's, are, you it's, gar- are you gardening? I'm gardening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, every every moment that I that I've had both alone and with other people is. Has meant just so much more. Um, you know, just, just thinking, you know, it could be the last time I do this. It could be the last time I see this person. Um, your overall sense of like, there's a, um, there's a, a comfort about you. Yeah. Like I've never felt like I, when you came over to do music stuff, I, I wanted to seem like I knew what I was doing to some extent. Sure. But there's this overriding feeling of like, we'll figure it out together. If if we don't know, we don't know and we'll just we'll figure it out. Yeah. And I feel like you bring that to friendships. Yeah. To, you know, there's there's never a like I don't know, it's hard to describe, but you just there's no um there's nothing that we can't do together. Yeah. Is what kind of the, what you seem to bring to the table and it's yeah insanely it, appreciated. Well, thank you. I, I mean, I, I really appreciate it as well. I, you know, most of my adult life through all this is, you know, one way or another, I'll figure it out. I'm going to, You know, to put it in more serious terms now, I mean, I, I know what one way or another I'll figure it out means, but, you know, to every interaction, whether it be personally or professionally or just, you know, uh, taking this shit day by day, it's one way or another I'm going to figure it out, so. Um, I mean, what... um. You, you've given some some good insight, I mean, through this conversation already, but I mean, yeah. for individuals, um, you know, who have lost and individuals that yeah. are 
you know, trying to find the positive in whatever it is that they're going through. What, what things have helped you? Um, you know, surrounding yourself with uh, the people you care about has been probably the most important. Um, I've been really lucky this past year, you know, throughout COVID I've got uh, my best friend, his wife live, you know, a half mile away. Oh, wow. So, you know, we, we meet for dinner pretty much once a week. Um, you know, I've gotten to figure out what an adult friendship is supposed to and, you know, what it can look like. You know, having those people that you can just go to, hang out with, watch YouTube videos on the couch with them, eat some cookies, whatever. That has, if nothing but a distraction, uh, it's the most valuable distraction you can get is surrounding yourself with the people you, that you love and you care about. Um, and to go back to another point is to value those, those times together. I, I watched a video as, you know, it's just some, some stupid, you know, 22nd TikTok thing, whatever on YouTube, the, the reels. Um, uh, one of the guys asks, you know, how, how often do you see your, 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 or how old are your grandparents? He says, you know, they're 95, whatever. How often do you see them? You know, um, a few times a year. Um, and what he ends up saying is, you know, the way that I think about that is I might only get to see my, my parents 10 more times. What, what kind of value do you place on those interactions when, um, when it's put like that, that you may, you know, only see uh, someone that you love, you know, a handful of times. You make you make the most of it, um, you know. So, in the, you know, few weeks since the diagnosis, I, I've seen tons of good friends, and I've I valued that those conversations probably more than I ever would have, you know, there's no background motive. There's, there, you know, there's nothing there, but just trying to enjoy their, enjoy their company. Yeah. Ask them, you know, the, the, the questions that matter versus, you know, how are you liking your job? You know, what are you, what are you doing for a living now? What, uh, you know, what type of car do you drive? Like, you know what? My, so the other podcast that we have, Dude, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's a comedy podcast, but my friend Alex brought this question from his group of friends that is actually really interesting. So mm -hmm. rather than saying, how are you doing? Yeah. You ask, how are you sleeping? Yeah. Because if you want to know how somebody's doing, find out how they're sleeping. Yeah. And if they're not sleeping well, there's probably other stuff going on. Yeah. It's really interesting, like, mm -hmm. how are you sleeping? Right? Yeah. <laughs> It, yeah, I mean, the, you know, we made another post about it, you know, either shortly before or shortly after the uh, the diagnosis where, you know, I said we, we put so much stake on, you know, what, what we're going to do tomorrow, what we're going to do next month, and what we're going to do next year. And, you know, at that point, I, I don't know that I had all the test results back. So, you know, I was, I was thinking... If I only had a finite amount of time left and I, and I knew it, 
given the, the confines of, you know, modern day living jobs, you know, um, obligations, financial, you know, what, what would you do to make the most of that? What, what would you do? And, um, you know, for me, it's try to love the people that I care about. So, yeah, I mean, I've tried to make the most of these moments and I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'm just going to be over dramatic about all this and, you know, five years down the road, maybe I'll have the luxury of, uh, of being a vapid asshole again and asking about how someone's job is going. Uh, but for the time being, I'm going to try my best to have the real conversations and say the things that actually matter versus, you know, the filler bullshit that we, we deal with in such large quantities today. Yeah. Um, well, I want to say thank you for doing this. Um, I yeah, know it's, thank you. it's not easy, um, to talk about this shit, but you know, I, the, the goal is for others to be able to hopefully not feel alone yeah. in the things that they're going through and, and, um, and maybe in the future, well, hopefully not in the future, but if something happens and, yeah. you know, this is something that they can look back on and, yeah. um, <clears throat> And I was thinking about this too. Um, w- something that I feel is is really important uh, when you were talking about what an adult friendship looks like. Yeah. Um, after a friend passed away when I was about eighteen, mm-hmm. I became friends with his friends, and something that they taught me was it's there's nothing wrong with saying I love you to your friends. Absolutely not. Yeah. There's so wrong with it. don't be afraid to say I love you to your friends. 100%. And with that, I love you. I love you too, dude. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, I appreciate and, it. And uh, to the listeners, be well. Be well. Take care.